today on Ag News Daily. Awesome to see the dedication that our beef producers and the industry and the commitment they have to raising cattle responsibly um, and sharing that message by participating in an industry program. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Delaney Howell here coming to you solo. Actually, I am podcasting from my car today. I am in Red Oak, Iowa, getting ready to head into judge an FFA contest for today. So I've been on the road, needed to cut the podcast in the car. You got to do what you got to do is what I've come to figure out when it comes to hosting a daily agricultural podcast. But I'm excited to be here today, excited to talk to you about the business of agriculture and what is driving agriculture forward, more specifically in the news headlines. But I wanted to just share a quick update for those of you who maybe didn't tune in with us on Monday. I had some exciting news to share and I wanted to reiterate that, reshare that with you folks, especially for those of you that are from Iowa. And I know we've got a big Iowa audience that listens to the podcast A lot of you probably are Iowa Farm Bureau members and get the Iowa Farm Bureau Spokesman newspaper into your mailboxes. And the Spokesman also has a podcast variety, the Spokesman Speaks podcast, which is essentially the newspaper in longer format, getting into some of those longer interviews, some of the more interesting and dynamic conversations that they have and use to write news stories on. They also have it in a podcast variety, the Spokesman Speaks podcast. And the big news is that I am getting to guest host the next couple of episodes for the Farm Bureau as their host of the Spokesman Speaks podcasts, which is not only just for farmers, but all just folks in the ag industry. Obviously, it's a lot of Iowa content since they are an Iowa Farm Bureau group, but there's definitely some content, some interesting stuff that applies to everyone in the business of agriculture, especially this Monday's episode that was just released. We talked about Animal Ag Alliance and what folks need to do to be involved, not only in the business of agriculture, but also in the conversation around animal agriculture. And then talk to a Story County, Iowa farmer who's also faced some firsthand opposition putting up a new hog farm building. So I think the content is very applicable to a lot of folks in agriculture. And again, it's called the Spokesman Speaks Podcast. You can find it on iowafarmbureau.com slash podcast or Find it in whatever fantastic podcasting app you are using to listen to the Ag News Daily podcast. But that's the only quick plug I wanted to share there. I'm excited. I'm excited about the business of agriculture. I'm excited about the future of the ag industry and to just continue my podcasting footprint. It's definitely a medium that I enjoy and hope that you all enjoy as well. But we've got to get right down to business for today before I hit in to do some judging, some young people. I'm excited about that as well, FFA folks. But the business of agriculture has largely been impacted over the past two years almost now by what's going on on our U.S.-Chinese trade front. A couple of interesting updates when you look at that news front as well. The first one here is what's going on on the international scene. We are seeing the Trump administration's Foreign Agricultural Service has pulled about 14 of their 20 USDA FAS officials out of China and Hong Kong over concerns of the coronavirus continuing to spread. So some of those employees that have been previously stationed overseas there are under quarantine. Others are now working in temporary offices at USDA's headquarters. But why this matters is 
as we continue to see a diminishing presence of having folks boots on the ground, if you will, in China during this difficult time, the FAS people are the ones who have the eyes and ears knowing what's going on in China, being able to push through some of those phase one purchases, keep the dialogue open. As we see most of those folks now coming back to the U.S. or at least out of China and Hong Kong, there is some continued concern that perhaps the dialogue won't remain open. Perhaps we won't have any sort of leveraging to continue to push forward the U.S.-China phase one trade deal and really just this risk condition that the coronavirus is creating, especially when you consider really what it could do as well to the U.S.'s bottom line. We are seeing Colin Powell told the a House panel on Tuesday that this coronavirus very likely will affect the U.S. economic growth as well. He said it's too early to decide or predict that impact. But he also reiterated that the central bank doesn't need to see any adjustment in interest rates because U.S. manufacturing has weakened over the last year. Again, we don't really know what the long-term economic impact will be for the coronavirus, but it is largely expected by folks all across the USDA and government that we will see it impacting the general U.S. ag economy and just a general economy in the U.S. as well. What's more to note, I think, the bigger headline for today is what's going on with the market facilitation payment programs. You probably should have gotten those either in your inbox in your mailbox, I should say, not your inbox, in your mailbox or in your bank accounts. And if you haven't done so, those checks are coming soon. But we've got some groups that are doing a little digging, more specifically the U.S., the, excuse me, the Inspector General, U.S. Inspector General, U.S. Attorney's Office is doing some digging into discovering whether or not USDA had the legal authority to actually release these market facilitation program payments in the first place. And so we're seeing the department's top auditors were on the Hill this week for a House Appropriations Subcommittee hearing on Tuesday, where they really started discussing the nitty-gritty of Everything from food stamp frauds and civil rights complaints to doing some review of the USDA's policies, more specifically the market facilitation payment program. And so Inspector General Phyllis Fong's office has been reviewing whether or not USDA had legal authority to provide that more than $20 billion in direct payments to producers without appropriations, of course, from Congress. And if you'll think back We saw the USDA use CCC funds to be able to share this money with producers. And so now we're seeing some investigation go further into it saying, first of all, do they have legal authority to do this? And second of all, were the scales tilted to more certain states over others, certain businesses over others, etc., to make sure that, okay, if they did have legal authority, Great, that's checkmarked. But not only the legal authority to do it, but were there any strings attached? Was it fair the way the funds were distributed, the implementation process, the formulas or whatever, if you will, the way that they went about conducting that research and figuring out who gets what money? They're also going to do some digging into that as well. I don't think that any of you will have to send back in your market facilitation payment programs 
but they are expecting to release some of that preliminary research results here very shortly within the next couple of weeks is what it sounds like here. And if they find that USDA didn't have the authority to make these funds, make these contributions, write these checks, I don't really know what happens from there. I suppose USDA could get sued or, yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I'm sure that's not going to be a win for agriculture if they do come back and decide that it wasn't legal with within the legal authority of USDA, but I don't know what the implications are if they do decide that that is the case. But those were kind of the major headlines marking the wires today. The other major headline as we hop into looking at the commodity markets are just that things are finally in the green today. So we reported yesterday, WASDI this time around wasn't really a major event, was maybe bear or excuse me, was maybe neutral to bullish for the soybean markets. Wheat got some production cuts. Corn really was kind of unchanged. But we finally saw some positivity into the commodity markets for today. So let's take a look at where those prices left us. Kicking it off here in the March corn contract ended up three and a quarter cent to close at three eighty-three even, while the May up two and three quarters cents to close at three eighty-seven even. In the soybean pits, big moves today in the front month March contract up seven and a quarter cent to close at eight ninety-two even. The May the May up five and a half to close at nine oh two and three quarters. In the March wheat pits up four and three quarters cents, continuing that move towards 5.46 and three quarters while the May up three and a half cents to close at 5.47 and a half. Looking over into the livestock pits, the green does continue most of the way down the screen. Kicking it off here with the February live cattle contract, showing a little bit of weakness, cutting 12 cents lower to end at 118.95. The April added 67.5 cents to end the day at 117.85. In the feeder cattle pits, the March contract up 37.5 cents to end at 135.05, while the April up 45 cents to close at 137.17. Weakness, unfortunately, in the lean hog markets for today as the February cattle con- February lean hog contract, excuse me, cut 45 cents to end at 55.67. The April cut 45 cents to close at 63.77 and a half. And rounding out our markets with the class three milk futures, the February contract shed a penny today to end at 17.03. The March up nine cents to close at 17.30. Now for today's interview portion of the podcast, finishing up a discussion I had with Chase DeCoit of the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, who is the Director of Beef Quality Assurance, looking at what that program means to producers and how it's changing to react and adapt to the consumer footprint. Well, I'm catching up with the Director of Beef Quality Assurance, Chase DeCoit with NCBA. Chase, you cover a lot within the beef industry, BQA being that beef quality assurance. We've got some podcast listeners that may not be quite as familiar with the beef industry if they're other livestock producers or if they're crop focused. Tell us a little bit about the BQA program, what role that plays in the beef industry. 
Yeah, so the the Beef Quality Assurance, or or BQA program as we call it in the the cattle industry, is really the industry's quality assurance program. It's a set of principles, guidelines, um, and resources and training that producers can participate in, become BQA certified, which really provides them with information that's based on sound science and research, as well as common sense animal husbandry practices to allow them to be the most successful uh, cattle producers that they can be. It's a program that really provides them uh, with the tools to produce the highest quality, uh, safest beef we can. And there are other industries, the livestock or the pork industry has the PQA, so there are other comparable programs. But I find it very interesting, the transformation we've seen in the BQA program as far as the way that people are participating in that training. And it seems that you guys have hit a pretty big milestone. Can you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, certainly. What's awesome uh, to be a steward of of the BQA program is that it's been around for 30 years. It was the first livestock quality assurance program. And what's really exciting is that it's more relevant than it's ever been. Um, And so for a program to have the stability to be relevant in an industry for 30 years and be so successful, uh, that's really awesome to see. In fact, just earlier this year, we passed over 100 thousand BQA certifications in our online training program. Um, And that's a huge milestone for our program. I think it's awesome to see the dedication that our beef producers and the industry and the commitment they have to raising cattle responsibly um, and sharing that message by participating in an industry program um, is really exciting. And so um, we we take great privilege in, in being uh, a part of the BQA program, helping lead that program, um, but really we're just a small part in the efforts that our cattle producers take uh, to do the right thing each and every day. And I know that the modules get updated pretty frequently. You're always changing them to adhere to consumer policies to what's going on in the industry, but the big one, it seems, that's been weaved into a lot of the modules as of lately has been sustainability. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so so BQA is a part of a much larger sustainability story, obviously. Um, you know, when we think about sustainability, it includes social responsibility, it includes the environment, and it obviously includes economics as well. BQA uh, uniquely fits into a lot of those, those aspects. You know, in our training platform, we do have uh, some information about environmental quality control points. Uh, when we talk about social responsibility and the role that that plays in sustainability. We have BQA as a a, a pillar of training where we're continuously improving ourselves, educating ourselves to be the best we can be. And obviously when you combine all of those things, there's some economic incentive efficiencies gained and and the like that could make you uh, potentially a more successful uh, cattle producer. So, you know, it's it's a part of a larger story, um, but we are excited that we've updated our BQA modules. Our modules uh, just launched earlier this week. Um, with an entirely new format, new videos, new interactivity, um, and what we're hearing is a really enjoyable learning experience. So you can never replicate uh, the opportunity uh, to do an in-person training and certification. Uh, That interaction with an educator and all of our BQA trainers and state coordinators are so great about relating to their producers and connecting with them. But in 2020, we know there's a whole lot of demands uh, in front of cattle producers, in front of agriculturalists and farmers and ranchers, and they needed to get a lot done. And so online training provides the opportunity for them to do that at their convenience, at their pace, um, and when they're available. So um, we want to make that experience as good as we can, and we're committed to continuously improving that experience. 
And I think the other thing that really is worth mentioning, too, is we live in this era now of the consumers, as I like to call it, the era of the consumer, where they dictate a lot of what we do, how we produce our food, how we grow our food. And I think it's very interesting to note that having the BQA stamp of approval or label, if you will, drives consumer demand and drives a premium paid by consumers. Yeah, so a couple of of really exciting things, you know, related to that. Just uh, late uh, last year, Colorado State University came out with a study, and they found that feeder cattle going through a video auction market when uh, including uh, BQA certification as a part of that lot description uh, had on average a premium of $16.80 a head. Now, BQA has very little barrier to entry being uh, no cost to to little cost for some of those in-person trainings uh, and a return of, of of that magnitude is really cool to to quantify and see but I think that uh, you know a lot of that is driven by this desire to communicate a BQA certification throughout uh, the beef value chain when we look at uh, the evolving consumer and what they're seeking and the assurances they're seeking or even the feed yard that might be buying those cattle wanting to know how they were raised and and that they're going to be uh, you know successful in their feeding operation um, people are really sending the signals that that BQA is of value to them all throughout uh, the value chain. And then when we talk about uh, the consumer, uh, we we have just started to to delve into introducing the consumer to the Beef Quality Assurance Program, which uh, to me is very exciting. A program being around for 30 years, being well established in the industry, being well recognized by by beef producers. But we've never really introduced that to the consumer. We've never said, hey, we're a part of this program. But we have a huge opportunity with consumers not just questioning um, because I really truly find that their questions are based in interest in how their food is raised. And so when we think about that interest, we have the opportunity to present that. We've had some really exciting results uh, by introducing a campaign about BQA, about responsibly raising beef to consumers. uh, And we're excited that we're just starting on that path and we're going to see even more results in the near, near future. Yes. And it's, I think that's, worth noting as well as the beef it's what's for dinner campaign has been around for a long time it was reintroduced into the consumer brand i think that one's very popular among consumers it's very well known but now you're introducing this new piece with the bqa certifications tell me a little bit more about what that messaging will look like yeah so like you mentioned Beef It's What's for Dinner has been an iconic brand and well-recognized amongst consumers. And and as an advantage to uh, the beef checkoff is that we can work together on these brands and on these checkoff-funded programs, which BQA and Beef It's What's for Dinner both are, to enhance that messaging. So we're going to deliver that message about beef quality assurance, about BQA to the consumer, using the Beef It's What's for Dinner brand as that vehicle so that they recognize where this message is coming from and can improve that trust. Uh, and and so we're going to see ads that, that not only display but also share the message about what BQA entails um, in a relatable way that can consumers can understand. You know, we use a lot of industry uh, jargon, a lot of industry terminology that they don't understand. So we need to work to understand them. But also share the message of BQA using terminology that they'll understand. And that's what the advantage is that we get by partnering uh, within the checkoff with the Beef It's What's for Dinner brand to deliver that message. And I think 
we live in this era with the consumers. They don't really care about the science behind what we're doing. They demand to have transparency. But then when we present them with the science of beef is actually a very sustainable industry or whatever, they don't necessarily care about that. They care more about the emotional attachment or their connection to the industry itself. So I assume that you're probably taking that route in some of the messaging and ads that you're going to be creating as part of that campaign. Yeah, obviously we're not going to deliver to consumers the uh, the scientific papers behind uh, BQA's foundation, but they do trust that the program is based in sound science, is based in that research, um, because at the foundation that is the core of BQA. Everything we do as a part of the program needs to be based uh, in sound science and, and to make it credible. So we're here for the long run. We're going to keep a, a credible program that the industry supports developed by beef uh, farmers and ranchers, for beef farmers and ranchers. Um, and I think what's really exciting is that that message, when we translate it to consumers, resonates. And so uh, a program supported by the industry is now being used to gain their trust. Just a kind of a final wrap-up question as you look at rolling out this type of messaging, the BQA messaging, will it be multimedia platforms that it's coming through and when can we expect to see some of those ads? Yeah, so ads have already started rolling out as of late October um, of last year. It is entirely multimedia, largely digital media. So you're going to see advertisements uh, potentially through Facebook, um, potentially through your Twitter feeds and the like. Now, one of the coolest things about modern advertising is that we can really target these things. So if beef producers don't see those, that's because we know you trust uh, BQA and you're likely to, to eat beef. So don't be worried. Know that those ads are out there, but we're being very strategic about how we're using those dollars and targeting them directly to where those ads need to be to gain the trust of those consumers. Well, it's very exciting. I haven't seen them, but I'm guessing that's why. Uh, Chase DeCoyt, thanks so much for joining. Thanks so much. Keep eating beef. Well, again, a big thank you there to Chase from Beef Quality Assurance. Really interesting stuff to see that they are changing their model. They are focusing more on reaching out to consumers, letting them know that, hey, by being BQA certified, this is a piece of sustainability. This is a well, a humane aspect of we're doing things right. We're raising our beef cattle to the highest standard. And I think that that will hopefully resonate with a lot of consumers. But that should wrap up the rest of the content that I gathered from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association, which happened last week in San Antonio. But if you are if you missed out on any of the conversations, including the great one we had last week with a Kent nutritionist, Terry Walsh, feel free to reach back out. Check them out on our website, agnewsdaily.com. We've got all our past episodes there as well as, well as other great content from many other agricultural podcasts. Connect with us on social media as well at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Let us know your thoughts. Are we covering the topics that you want to hear as related to the business of agriculture and the news impacting your business? With that, we'll see you all right back here tomorrow. Tomorrow.